September is going to be, we've designed it to be a month of invitation. Invite people to come to Rise Against Hunger. Invite people to come to different things. We're going to do a sermon series called uh, Finding Peace With. And uh, I have an image for that. You can throw that up if you want. Where we're going to be talking about finding peace in the midst of, not a you know, complete destruction of anxiety or anything like that, but finding God's peace. People are so in need of peace today more than ever. So we're going to be doing this, Jeff and I, teaching on this in September into a, and part of October. So we've designed September to be um, about in, in, invitation. And so I thought I'd do this Sunday and next Sunday calling this the power of invitation for two Sundays, really teaching about um, our command of the Great Commission and, and that it doesn't have to be a scary thing. It doesn't have to be a, it can be a, a joy. As Jay said, it, it's a thing of power. This message we have is power. It's not anything that we have. It's what God does through us when we step out in faith. This happened to me when I was, you've heard me talk about, um, I was a camp director at a mission camp in Franklin, North Carolina. It's a camp called Camp Patton Springs. Now it's torn down, but uh, youth groups would come in and do home repairs around the area. And so um, this camp was way out in the, in the middle of nowhere, but youth groups would come in. And then on a Friday night, we'd have like a worship service at the end of the experience. And the youth and adults that were there, we'd have communion and candles and crickets and all of that. And it's very nice. And we did something different on our Friday nights where I told my staff to sit out in a circle, seven of us spread out. And anyone could come to them and pray, just if you need prayer. And teenagers are very emotional. They, they're, they're in need of things like that deeply. So a lot of them would come up. But I told my staff, I said, ask them, have they ever committed their life to Jesus Christ before? And if they had not, pray with them to do so. Very simple. And over the course of that summer, dozens of people said, no, I've never done that before. And they responded in faith to that invitation. Very simple. I remember one kid came up to me, and really nice young guy from Mooresville, and he said, um, you pray for me about this and this, and we did, and I said to him, Dane was his name, I said, Dane, have you ever given your life to Jesus Christ before? He said, no, I haven't. He was 16 years old, and I said, would you like to pray with me right now? And he said, yes, I would like that very much, and we did, and it was a wonderful moment. He looked up, and his face was literally glowing, this kid, and it was just, and then I, he, and then he said something. He said, something happened to me, and I didn't say this, but I thought that, like Jay said, something happened to me too in that moment. When we, had, we, sh- I sh- we shared that together, such joy. Then he walked away. It was late at night. He was going to go back to bed. I sat out there a little bit longer, sort of open-ended time. And then a few minutes later, Dane came back. And I never forgot this. He came back to me, and he sat down in front of me, and he just said, is this for real? I said, yeah, it's for real. It's for real. What you're feeling is real. Like, this is true. And and, I, and his mother contacted me soon after that and just said, he's like a, a different kid. I don't know what you did. I was like, whoa, whoa, let me back up for the lightning strikes. I didn't do anything at all. But something happens to us when we share our faith. Now, there's, there's something that happens when we talk about this topic between believers and unbelievers alike. Everybody gets tense. Everybody tenses up because we get nervous. But... But here's the truth. Churches and the disciples inside those churches do not grow by accident. They never grow by accident. They always grow by intention. And healthy things always grow. Healthy things always grow. We would love to see an explosion of growth in this church, every church. You would love to see friends and family that you're thinking of right now 
know Jesus as their own, as their Lord, and, but they don't. And you would love to see that. Every single one of us has at least one person that we can share Christ with, just at least one. So I'm gonna have a couple points, and the first one is, is that love is communicated through relationships. That true love is communicated person to person. It sounds obvious, but in our world today, we try and communicate love through these. And you can't do that. Have you ever tried to have an emotional conversation over email? It doesn't go well. Have you ever received what's called a breakup text? <laughs> Those are real. I knew kids, teenagers, they get a text and say, I'm breaking up with you. You know, and that was it. They wouldn't talk about it. it was, they were devastated. Love and grief and all of that, it can't be communicated through technology. Not real, not really, right? It has to be through relationship, through in-person relationships. I mean, Zoom calls are great. I get frequently distracted. I multitask too much on Zoom calls. Some of us are not wearing pants, let's be honest. Some of us are not wearing pants. Um, but love is communicated through face-to-face. -face. There's power in that. And that when we communicate the gospel, it's meant to be shared. When you look at um, methods of you know, evangelism or church growth, you can do postcards, you can do social media ads. All those things have value, but nothing compares to a friend inviting a friend. Nothing compares. Over 80% of people visit a church for the first time because somebody invited them. Nothing compares to it. Now, if you and I went out of our way to, to share our faith like I did with Dane that one time, if we just did with one person, and then he went and shared with one person, and one person, and it went on and on, in 30 years, over one and a half billion people would hear the gospel of Jesus. Just one person. So we can pray about your circle of influence. Ask someone, God to bring someone to your mind, just maybe just one, and begin praying for that person. Deeply, daily praying for that relationship, and maybe God could use you to communicate the love of God through that relationship. I went to a church in Charlotte called Forest Hill Church for a few years. I worked there, and uh, the pastor there gave this sort of a message to us one Sunday. And then that week to come, um, I remember he said, God's going to give you divinely ordained conversations this week. And I went to go get a haircut that week in South Charlotte, off uh, South Tryon Street. And I went to go in, and I sit down on the chair, and I'm the only, I'm the only person in there. It's like supercuts or, or whatever. I forgot what it was, when it was. And as I'm, the woman's cutting my hair, and I can immediately tell there was something deeply wrong with her. She was emotionally upset, you could just tell. And so through our conversation, it came to pass that she was in a really horrible relationship in a different town. She abruptly moved to Charlotte just to get away from this guy, abusive relationship. And she was deeply wounded, and I could tell, and as I'm paying for the haircut, I said to her, can I, can I just pray for you right now? Very simple. She said, yeah, I like that very much. And I reached across, and I put a hand on her shoulder, and we said a prayer in public, not to boast about myself, but simply to say it was very easy. For that, in that moment, it came very easily, and it blessed her. Now, she didn't, I don't know what, like Jay said, I don't know what happened to her, but I'm, you're scattering seed. You're scattering seed. And so, the second point is that Jesus does command us to spread the good news. In Matthew chapter 28, he gives what's called the Great Commission at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. 
Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain in which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and remember I am with you always to the end of the age. You... You've heard that before, if you've been in church long enough. I've heard that many times. We know, as a, as a clergy person, I know that our, our goal is to make the disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. But this thing called guilt creeps in when we're aware of our lack of obedience. Like, yeah, I have not done that. I'm sorry, Jesus. My goal is not to make anybody feel guilty. That's not a great motivator. I want to encourage you Because talking about Jesus should be a joy, not a sense of obligation. But he does give us this great commission, a command, as the way it's phrased, is a command. He didn't give the great omission. He didn't say the church is not to wait for the world to show up. That doesn't happen. That, in fact, our commission is to go to the world. So if you're a homemaker or a businessman or woman or a student in high school or college or a construction worker or whoever you are, you're all called to leverage whatever it is you've got for his glory. I had a text from someone just this week said, I want to meet with you to pray together, talk about how I can leverage my business more. I can leverage my faith more in my business. But that, that, that's a Holy Spirit-led desire right there. So where is Jesus calling us? Well, he's calling us into the world, into our relationships to communicate love. All of us are called to do that as disciples. So one way we do that, I'm going to go back to Psalm 96, which is very simple. Declare his glory among the nations. Now you can't, doesn't mean you have to go out in the street and start singing praise songs or something like that. It can be a very simple thing. For example, I have another sports metaphor. In 1988, the LA Dodgers were in the World Series, as some of us remember. And I remember, I think it went to Game 7. And the MVP of that series was Oral Hershiser, the pitcher for L.A. And he was on camera in the dugout, I think preparing to, to go in, and he was rocking. He's nervous. And he's muttering something to himself. And every, even Bob Costas was like, I wonder, what, he's, what is he saying? What could he be going through his head right now? Well, L.A. would win the series, and um, Oral Hershiser would go to be on Johnny Carson. If you're under the age of 30, ask your parents who Johnny Carson was. Or Google it right now. Johnny Carson was a big deal. Like, it was the show on Late Night. He was the man, the biggest name, the biggest show. If you're on Johnny Carson, you made it. Well, as it was the custom, you know, Oral Hershiser would go in on Johnny Carson. And Johnny Carson said, who, Carson was a sort of a famous agnostic, really struggled in faith in, in many ways. But Carson said to Hershiser, we saw you on camera muttering something to yourself. What were you saying? And Oral said, well, I was just singing a song. It's nothing, no big deal. And Carson said, no, 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 what was it? We'd like to know. And Oral Hershiser sang, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. He sang the doxology on Johnny Carson. Millions of people heard the doxology. Declare his glory among the nation, nations. The psalmist says, that's our job. I'm just... I'm just a ball of dirt that's reflecting the sun. And when you see me, don't look at me. You're looking at the one I'm reflecting. 
right? Like the moon, right? And Hirschhauser was saying, I'm just reflecting back. Or um, Sydney uh, McLaughlin was in, was in the Olympics, right? She won a gold medal. And she was very open about her faith in Jesus, and she was sharing that around the world. She was bringing, declaring his glory among the nations. And some people could hear the Old Testament and think falsely what a lot of people think now about the Old Testament, which is like that was a different God. There's the Old Testament God and the New Testament God, and somehow God evolved over time. But the Lord said in Genesis, I am the Lord, I do not change. And that somehow God became a Christian when Jesus came along. But that's not actually true. He did, God never changed his attitude about people. His attitude about people was always the same. But you could say that Jesus more fully reveals God's attitude about people. And what is God's attitude about people? What is Jesus' attitude about people? He said, the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost, right? I've come to do that. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells all these parables about this seeking and saving the lost. He, he tells a story about a shepherd who owned 100 sheep, and he left the 99 to go find the one that was trapped in the pit. He tells a story about the kingdom of God is like someone that found, that lost their most valuable coin, and they turned over their house to find it, and they were desperate for it, and when they found it, they went and buried it in a field, and then they bought the field to protect the treasure. That's how valuable the kingdom of God is. He said that the kingdom of God is like a man that had two sons. One of them got lost in a strip club. The other one got lost at home. God threw a party for both of them. Whether you're in a pig pen or a pew, he just wants you to come home. He just wants you to come home. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. When I was working in East Charlotte at a Methodist church in 2003, I went to, to a subway one day to go get a sandwich, and I'm, I'm waiting in line, and there's a postal worker sitting near me in a booth talking to a woman across from him, and I just happened to hear something he said to her. He said, I asked this because everybody I talk to, do you have Christ in your life? And the woman had this look on her face of bewilderment that said, no. And he, he, I'll never forget this. He said to the woman, he just wants you to come home. He just wants you to come home. Like I said, though, a great roadblock for us with a great commission is fear, it's guilt. Another one is this belief. They're probably a good person. I don't want to offend anybody. So you just do you, I'll do me. They're probably good. Believe what you want. And it's true. You can't make anyone believe anything. No one made you believe what you believe either. You decided what you want to believe. But what you can do is scatter seed. But essentially, when you say, what you want to believe is fine, I'm good, you're good, what you're saying is that God grades on a curve. Or even worse, that you and I decide what's good. And that our own subjective moral compass is enough. But the Bible says that being good is not good enough. In Romans 3.23 says, where everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. It's true. Martin Luther said, we are beggars all teaching other beggars where to find bread. And all you're doing is pointing people to say, I don't have the bread. He's got it. 
I don't have the life. He's got the life. And you do it in love. So if, if I set the bar of goodness, oh, I'll get over the bar. If you set your own bar, you'll get over the bar. But the Bible says that he has set the bar, and the bar is his holiness. And you might think, well, that doesn't sound fair. But here's the deal. Only one person was able to meet that standard, and it was Christ. And because he died in our place, we are then able to become the righteousness of God, as Romans said. So I say all of that about seeking and saving the lost to challenge us, to encourage us, to have the same mind that was in Christ Jesus, as Philippians 1 reminds us. Have the same mind that was in him. Well, which mind, what was in him? Because you can read that and go, how could I possibly have the mind of Jesus? But you can say, he came to seek and save the lost. I can do that too. Something, anything, to remember what's at stake. Because I remember when I felt called to go into seminary and go into ministry, I felt so, it was such a, it is, it is a heavy responsibility because there are bad firemen and bad lawyers and bad doctors and I did not want to be a bad preacher or a bad pastor because too much is at stake. It's eternal things we're talking about. It would be like if a house was on fire and you're a fireman and you say, oh, they're probably fine. They'll get, they'll make their way out. Or if you're a physician and you have an easy remedy for the patient who comes to you, but you say, oh, I don't want to offend them. I'll let them go their own way. So when we hear the word in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, go and preach, even the word evangelism is very loaded. So let's dispense with those words. Words matter. Think of it this way. Make a recommendation. Leave a review, if you will. We like online reviews. It's true. Many times, we don't do anything or go anywhere unless the reviews are good, right? Like, before we go anywhere in my house, we ask the question, what do the reviews say? Oh, someone had a bad experience. We won't go there. Now, not all reviews are helpful. When I was buying a washing machine a few years ago, someone literally reviewed, I tried to wash a bunch of oily rags, and it broke the washing machine. Like, that's user error. That's your fault, not the washing machine's fault. And the washing machine's been great. Now, some of these reviews are hilarious. Like, here's an actual pocket knife on Amazon right now. Look at this thing. Look how big it is. I've got to pull up the picture so I can read the, read the comments to you. Here's what some of those say. I tried to file my nails, but in the process, I accidentally fixed a small engine that was nearby, which was nice. I forgot the knife in the front pocket of my Swiss Army shorts, and when my wife washed them, it completely disassembled our washing machine. I received this knife as a gift for my 18th birthday. When, wish I had known that, because when I, as soon as I touched it, I grew a mustache and became a Navy SEAL. <laughs> my mom fainted. I accidentally left this knife in the glove box of my 67 Chevy truck overnight. Miraculously, the knife fully restored the truck and drove it to the store. So we like reviews, we like recommendations. I mean, let's apply this to our faith. You're simply recommending Christ to the world. Your witness, like there's a restaurant near where I live called Chiang Thai. It's the best Thai food in the triad. Great sushi. I have brought many people to Chiang Thai. I brought much business to Chiang Thai. My family likes Dollywood. We like to go to Dollywood. I love Dollywood. It's so great. I've recommended that place to many people. It's a simple, it's not, I'm not, I'm not worrying. I wonder if they're going to hate Dollywood. 
I wonder if I should say anything about Dollywood. No, it just comes out of your heart. It's just a natural expression. I feel blessed, so I want you to feel blessed too. And many times we hear the word preach, it sounds negative though, right? Like, hey man, don't preach at me. And no one likes that. But what he's really saying, Jesus is saying, is just communicate the gospel. Whisper it. Speak it. Share it online. Post things. Keith Bird posts Bible verses constantly on Facebook. You're going to know where he stands real quick if you're friends with him on Facebook. Leverage whatever you have. Communicate. Just do something. Because how can others hear if no one tells them? How would you have heard if no one taught you? As a child in Sunday school, or growing up in church, or your parents, or whoever it was, someone told you. Andrew in the Bible practiced simple recommendation like this in John chapter 1. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, so the brother of Peter, was one of these men who heard that John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. You know, what I love about Andrew here is that he doesn't focus on his own inadequacy or his lack of training as a simple fisherman or farmer. But simply out of the joy of what he had experienced, he went and told his brother. And his brother would become Peter. Peter. The first bishop, if you will, of the church in Jerusalem. That on Peter's profession of faith, Jesus says, I, on that rock, I will build my church. So let us not think that someone else will just take care of it. A lot of times people look at the pastor and they say, well, isn't that your job? And the pastor looks at the people and goes, well, isn't that your job? And then no one does anything. But it's really for our own good. It's for our good and the good of others to share the gospel with those around us. So do it. Do it for your own spiritual good. Proverbs 11.30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. He or she, I would say win souls is right is wise i must be honest it's easy for a pastor to tell stories that make them look great but as many times as i've had those i've had many others where i failed where i got scared and i didn't do anything and i knew i was supposed to but the good news is that god forgives us and it's a it's a privilege to be able to share the the love of god with, with others because when our faith is exercised and we step out in faith and we say, can I pray for you? Can I just tell you? Can I recommend? Can I just tell you what God has done for me? You can't refute someone's testimony. Someone's testimony is, it's your story. It's what you, God has done for you. You can't, you can't deny that. And when you get to share that, it's, it's a joy. It's thrilling, really, that we are blessed to be a blessing. And the alternative of sharing is hoarding, where we just consume and we keep it all together. I, I tried to watch that TV show, Hoarders. I got through about two or three episodes and I just couldn't keep on. It was just really bringing me down. Um, rough, rough stuff on Hoarders. So many cats, a lot of cats, some cat skeletons. Uh, but the gospel is designed to be shared, not to be hoarded. 
Because when you do share it, it, it does help your spiritual health. It's good for your soul. It's good for your soul. It's, it's sort of like if you ate food all the time and you never exercised. You just ingested all the time and you just sat like in a chair. Like in one of those massage chairs that are fantastic. My kids went to a trampoline park a few weeks ago and they had massage chairs for all the old people like me that we could sit in. And you pay a few bucks and it shakes you and it squeezes your legs and it's fantastic. But imagine if we just sat in those all the time and we didn't do anything. It wouldn't, you're, if you don't share your faith, it, your faith can fossilize. It can become stagnant, sort of like a pool of water that has no water leaving or coming in. It keeps the fresh wind, flesh water of the spirit, if you will, flowing through your life. Um, where I went to seminary, Gordon Conwell Seminary, they have this beautiful uh, mural in the chapel there in Charlotte. I have a picture of it here. It's called The Sower. And it's, uh, I love that it's 3D. If you look at the bottom, you can see that Jesus is sort of popping out of it. Uh, it's, and it's, it's simply a rendition of, of that, this parables of the sower. A farmer went, he scattered seeds. Some of it fell on good soil. Some of it got choked out by the affairs of the world. Some of it fell uh, on, on other people. And, and it's, it's simply sowing. Sowing is, is throwing the seed to the wind and, and letting it fall. It's where we get the word broadcasting. You're, you're casting broadly. And you know what? The results aren't really up to you. And they're not really up to me. It's up to the person and the work of God in their life. But God does command us to scatter seed. Be fruitful in your life. That we do it for him. We do it for the kingdom. So, what are some action points? Well, one, invite friends to hear what we talk about in September. Pray for that one person that maybe is on your heart. We're going to be providing next week a new believers, New Testaments that you can take at the end of the service and take with you and give to whoever you want. And those will be a bunch of them out there to pass out. And then next week, we'll be looking more at this as well. So my friends, as I close, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the good news that we have received it as ourselves and our lives. And maybe there's someone here that's never done that. Or you're listening and, and you don't know the grace of God in your life. You've never given your life to Christ before and to know the joy of that. I pray for you, whoever you are right now, that you would know the peace of Jesus in your life. That you would taste and see that God is good and that he calls you to himself that you would hear this word, if you hear nothing else today, you hear this, that you are 100% loved and that nothing will change that. Life is hard, things don't make sense, we're all there. But you can rest in the fact that you are a child of God, that God loves you and he wants you to know him. And it's as simple as a prayer of faith, of giving God your life, inviting Jesus into your heart to follow him. And we pray, Spirit of God, you bring to our hearts and minds someone that we need to pray for this week. Give us a divine conversations, holy moments with someone in our week where we share your love to the world around us. Lead us in this time, O oh God. In your name we do pray.